Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Welcome to Raising Equity. Today, we're going to continue our series on Black women and Black women magic, Black girl magic. We have with us Ripley Marie Bennett. And Ripley is an artist, an activist, and an amazing woman. And we're going to get a chance to hear her story because I think it's essential that we understand the complexity and depth of Black women's stories and not get caught in the stereotypes and monolith that are often in society. So thanks for joining me. Welcome, Ripley. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself, because I I was reading like the activism, your artistry and your self-taught, like there's so much amazingness. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Well, I wasn't born in Columbus. I was born in Steubenville, Ohio, but raised in Columbus. Um, I've been doing art since I was four. Mm. So, yeah, I really grew and continued to do work. My mother was an artist, you know. Um, My father sang, so I sing and I write and I do art. My mother writes. So she uh, really got into her nursing and I just kept with the art. But she's really picking up her art right now. Neat. She tends to look at my art and she's just like, wow, I could be there if I would have just kept going. I'm like, mom, you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> and I read that you've done illustrations. Mm-hmm. You do large pieces. Like, what's your favorite medium? My favorite medium is pencil and paper. It's the easiest medium. It's the first medium. And I love it. It like shading, all of that. It was as long as I had any kind of paper. A notebook, it didn't matter, little sticky pads and a pencil. I was good, good to go, you know? Entertainment for the entire family or for me. (laughs) And the way I actually came to know you is through your art. Um, So if you'll talk a little bit about the Transfuturism Project. Oh, yes, yes. Um, Transfuturism is uh, based off of a paper that Amber Johnson wrote um, that was actually denied funding. Because they were just like, well, we don't get it, you know. But it was basically about how um, with Afrofuturism, it is um, envisioning a future where Blackness and, you know, um, owning the Black is beauty and Black is pride and Black is strong narrative and creating your own world and your future. But how Black trans folk are doing that in their bodies today. Mm, Yeah. And if folks are able to see it, is it going to it's going to be online, right? Yeah. Yeah. You'll be able to see it online, but it's amazing. We got a sneak peek at a show a few weeks ago. And I I think it's not just about like seeing trans folks in the future. Like you actually make them superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that process. That was fun. I didn't, now I've been a part of a lot of projects, but um, when the project was presented to me, I was just like, yeah, this sounds cool. Okay, we'll get into it. You know, I love, you know, uplifting Black trans folk, Black queer folk. Let's see what's going on. And then Amber broke down, like, exactly what they're trying to do with their work. And I was just like, sign me up. <laughs> this sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love superheroes. I'm a nerd. A whole Marvel DC Comics nerd. Who's your favorite? Storm. Ah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Storm. Rogue is a close second, fourth is Nightcrawler, and fifth is Gambit. Okay. See, mm-hmm. I'm not well-versed enough to know the backstory of all those folks, but having kids has forced me. Mm-hmm. Like, growing up, I wasn't into comics, but having kids who are, 
I've been forced to understand the stories and just like the amazing imagination that goes into comics. Oh, yeah. Amazing. And the stories and how... What I love most about Marvel is how it's like all of these different universes that coincide, like, and there's almost the same thing with, you know, DC. I mean, Batman and Superman, they're basically across the river from each other. You know? Are they? Gotham City and Metropolis are basically New Jersey and New York. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You learn something new every day. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So as a Black trans woman doing this transfuturism work... Has is this the is this one of the first times you've been able to like marry your identity with your artwork, or is that just like how you how you roll in your artwork? That's just how I roll. That's beautiful. That's how I roll. I was actually I was stumped the other day because I'm working on this. This is my second kid's book I'm working on, and I had to draw a cisgendered father. Like, and I was just like, I'm not good at drawing cis people unless I'm looking right at them and like putting them on paper. But wow, like, and I was just like, I have to design this whole character. And I was like, can I do this? I can do this. I, I can do this. It took me two weeks to come up with a substantial design and I sent it in. And um, the trans woman who's writing the book was like, wow, this is great. This is amazing. What took so long? I was like, I don't draw cis people. This was difficult. <laughs> <laughs> but how how much of a privilege is that to be able to have, like be doing your work and be able to being able to center trans folks. It's, it's, um, it takes my breath away every time. Every project I get involved with and I see all of these things that people are doing and the visibility that they're providing for folks. And I'm just like, when I was young, the only visibility us trans women had was Jerry Springer. Interesting. Yeah. So when you were growing up, did you did you identify as trans as a kid? Like, did you? No, I just identified sense? as a a little girl, and my mother tried to beat it out of me. Of course, you know that's just the way black parents do. But after a while, I started to like kind of pull back from it because of how negative the stereotype seemed, and I was just like, mm. so when everybody was like, "Wow, you have such a pretty voice, pretty mm-hmm, eyes." Mm-hmm. And, you got a girl's name. And I was just like, it's not a girl's name. <laughs> mm, so how young were you when you started, when you identified as a little girl? I was three. Really? Do yeah. you remember? I remember when I was three and my little cousins would leave their heels, you know, the little Barbie pink heels and mm-hmm. how they had the little like nail things that you would put on your fingers, but mm-hmm. it was plastic, but it was... um always like, you know, white women's fingers. So it just, you know, looked very vitiligo-y. But um, <laughs> I would always like put them on and my mother made us wear long shirts to sleep in. So I tie a belt around my waist to get that cinch waist and long black t-shirts on my head. <laughs> For a long time, I went by Pocahontas. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So you, I, the reason I ask is so, so many times folks are uh, nowadays saying, oh, well, it's a fad and, you know, oh, People are just saying they're trans because it's because it's popular, and I consistently want to just raise up the fact that people know mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. People know who they are, and they've always known. They've always known. But sometimes you just don't have the language, you know. Yes, you don't have the language. Um, I <laughs> this is another reference. I don't know if you'll get it, but I was watching um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Okay, and. Um, well, actually, it was the second season. Well, not the second season, the second Avatar, which was Avatar Korra. So it's the Legend of Korra. But um, so she opens up 
the uh, southern water tribes like Spirit Portal, and then the uh, northern water tribes uh, portal has already been opened. But when she opened the southern water tribe Spirit Portal, all of these airbenders that they thought were basically like extinct started realizing their powers. You know, so all of these people that thought they were normal, like that they weren't airbenders or waterbenders or anything started realizing that they were airbenders. They had airbending abilities and it just came out of nowhere. And what I think was there was this, this bolt of lightning. And I think it started with um, redefining realness, this bolt of lightning that everybody was just like, I do that. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So this, the way in which people become awakened to their, like you said, their powers but people can become awakened to to their own identities, to their own selves, like by what they see reflected yes. or not. With more visibility, With- we find more people seeing themselves in the folks that, you know, that are showing up. That's yeah. why it's important to be visible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Jerry Springer, and I'm trying to remember. I'm racking my brain. Like, where were trans folks in Jerry Springer? Oh, if you ever look up any of the old episodes, there was always, I have something to tell him. Um, he thinks I'm a woman, but I'm a man. Really? Those. I don't remember. I'm going to have to go back and look. Or the, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm his, like, side piece, but I'm, I'm here to tell him that I want him completely and that I'm a man. Like, so there's always this, like, that I'm a man aspects that, that came out. That's why I never really identified with what they were saying, because they never said I was trans. They just said, he thinks I'm a woman, but I'm a man. And I'm just like, I'm a woman, sweetheart. <laughs> mm. I'm a woman, so... No, no, no. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, there was this one with the twin sisters, both of them trans, uh-huh. got into a fight because one was like, I'm prettier than you. And the other is like, no, I'm prettier than you, honey. I'm more fish. I'm more, I'm more cunt. I'm more this. I'm more that. And they just went at it on the show. And the, their third sister was like, look, I just want them to end this rivalry. They used to be best friends. You, got, you are going to have me Googling Jerry Springer tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always just like, oh. No, why? And I was always just like, mm, 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 mm. but they were doing it in such a sensational way, yeah, rather than like a real way. Yeah, having the real conversation of, you know, I'm, I'm scared. I, I am a woman, but I don't think he'll see me as this. But right. like, just you know, I want to have a conversation with him about this. You know, that's a very true fear, like running into someone that you're in a relationship with, and or building a relationship with somebody, and it's great, but. You know, then you have to disclose and, you mm-hmm. know, some people, like I, I'm a firm believer in <laughs> trans women should not have to disclose anything, you okay. know, that's their truth. Um, I do because it's a safety thing, because I don't want anybody thinking they're going to try me because I'm a CC McDonald all day long. I'll be in jail all day long. We don't want you in jail. We don't want me in jail. No. I stay with the boots and I stay with the knives in my ba- in my purse. I'm ready. I'm ready for you. Don't play with me, brother. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like, so that's why I'm like, I don't want any of the games. I want to make sure you read this profile. Did you read it all the way through? Did you understand right. everything? If you didn't understand everything, do you have questions? And if you have questions that are a little too in-depth, I direct you to Google. Yep. So uh, you're really upfront about it mm-hmm. so that you don't have any problems. Yeah. And but you that don't never have to has to be. Anybody. Yeah. That doesn't have to be everybody's like story. Right. But um, I understand like that fear of like having that conversation with somebody that you really care about. Like, uh, 
will he accept me? Like, what will this be? Like, what will happen? And like, I under, I get that. I don't know about taking them on television to tell them, but yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm protection and numbers or whatnot, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But I, I feel I feel like we're at a place in our society where we're willing to question the gender binary more, mm-hmm. to allow people more space to be who they are. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about where we are in terms of how we think about gender? I think we are getting to that point where gender is a thing of the past. Mm. Hopefully. Hopefully. I know there are a lot of diehards that are like, I'm really for the male and female aspect only. Like, there's nothing else. Even though, like, before this country was taken, like, there was, you know, Native folk here who knew that there were all these different genders, you know? In India, there's a conversation about all these different genders, you know? Throughout and every, history. like, indigenous culture of color, there are these conversations of different genders. So it's just like... Kind of catch up. Like, yeah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Reach so- back. Grab what you need. Right. Go back and fetch it. Sankofa. Mm-hmm. Um, I well, I asked that, though, just because I feel like we're at, we're, we're p- some people, like you said, are holding rigidly to this binary. Mm-hmm. Right. But more and more in mainstream society, we're seeing people bust it wide open. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking a little bit about kind of what we saw at the Met Gala this year. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know the history of camp. Like I didn't know even the term. But mm-hmm. as I was seeing different visuals like i could totally see how that had been appropriated from trans culture Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit more about that uh camp is definitely an aspect of ballroom culture you know and it was always like one of the highlights you know just to be extravaganza to be out there to be you know wild and free and over the top with you know feathers or long flowing drapes it's always about putting on a show and I I really appreciate that the Met Gala decided to do that, but I also felt like there was a large conversation that was missing from that aspect and, and, you know, that there are a whole bunch of cis folk, like, really partaking in this. And um, there's a lot of money that's going to be made from this, like, these dresses, these gowns. They will be in museums, you know, um, having a conversation about how, like, queer culture came to the Met Gala and that, this, that, and the other. But um, they're really missing the aspect of this being, you know, the only place that queer and trans folk of color had, you know, especially back in the day, you know, um, having a, so talk a little bit more about ballroom culture. Like you said, that was a, was that like, uh, uh, the, the, like a home for mm-hmm. trans folks, yes. a way to, to be together, but also to like showcase. Yeah. I mean, there were so many, there still are so many young queer and young trans people who are being put out of their houses at young ages, you know, turned out into yep. the streets. And there were a lot of trans women and, uh, you know, queer men and queer folk like of color doing this work to build safe spaces and protect these kids. And that's where like, you know, you get this house. That's where the houses come from. You know, mm. you get the house mothers or the house fathers or, you know, um, and the kids that, you know, really need a place to stay, they'll come and they'll, you know, they'll work on their craft and they'll go to the balls and they'll have a place to stay warm meal, someone to talk to, someone who knows about like, you know, what they're going through, someone who can guide them. And I think that's very important. Like, and that's, that's something that I'm hoping that society starts to take to heart because when you find queer and trans kids in the system, they tend to be runaways and they'll get hooked on drugs or straight to jail or, you know, find themselves in very precarious situations in which they're being taken advantage of. There needs to be a network of 
queer and trans family that can actually take care of them because nobody can know that struggle like any like we can. Well, and we know disproportionately mm-hmm. a lot of the unhoused and homeless youth are either, like you said, either queer or trans. Mm-hmm. And we also know from research that when kids who identify as queer and trans are in environments where they're supported, they don't, they're not at any greater risk than other teenagers and other kids. And so your point is totally accurate that if we would be clear about finding spaces and places where they're affirmed, we wouldn't see the runaways, we wouldn't see the increased mental health concerns, the suicidality. Uh, because they would be they would be supported. Yeah, it's it's frustrating that we don't get that and that we try to like say that the problem is in the youth identifying as queer or trans and mm-hmm. it's like you yeah, actually no, it's the environment demonizing their identities. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 um we've got it wrong. Mm-hmm. We've got it wrong. We really do. Mm-hmm. And I think about even just the conflation that we do around sexual orientation and gender, right? Like those are separate concepts. And, and I don't, I'd be curious your thoughts, like even thinking about how the trans community in some ways within the LGBTQ struggle has gotten lost in some ways. Hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, that I'm saying that as like a cishet person, like saying, when I look at the history, like I think about like Stonewall and Marsha B. Johnson, other folks, other trans folks were at the forefront of that. Yet when we think about it, we, we don't think about yeah. trans folks. Because we are removed. I yeah. mean, after Stonewall, the white gays and white lesbian folks just picked up and ran with it. And they really like pushed Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson off to the side. And that's where we see the culture today. Like, um, that's why we see so much transphobia and anti-blackness and, you know, um, anti-immigrant like behavior with a whole lot of white, queer and trans folk. Like, I mean, Columbus is a prime, like... Petri dish of that. Like, really? I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot of covert racism and microaggressions and macroaggressions all across Columbus, but, and also a lot of police shootings. But um, in the queer community specifically, there is a marginalization of Black folk within that community. You know, um, if anything happens at a bar, the Black folk are always the ones that are escorted out. The police are always talking to us. Like, I got jumped at a karaoke bar by a whole bunch of white gay men because someone put their hands on one of my friends and I was confronting him. I didn't fight. We weren't fighting. I was arguing with him, yes. He was trying to put me out of the bar because I told him that's not okay for you to put your hands on someone because they don't agree with the transphobic things that you're saying over the mic. Like, that's not okay. You don't have to put your hands on anybody. And then here comes this crowd, like, beating and hitting and punching me and kicking me and choking me and pushing me out the door. But when I get out the door, there's a whole slew of police officers outside. And guess who they decided Mm. to harass? Me and my friends, because we were the only people of color. Mm. And that harassment, I mean, that runs deep. Mm -hmm. And there's a history of that. But in terms of your experience, as I was reading up on your activism, that's front. I mean, that's front and center. The whole experience that you had during Pride last year. I guess we're coming up on it on the anniversary of that tragic experience, where you and other activists you know, took a stand during the Pride event to say this is not intersectional and we are being erased. Well, let me let me let you tell the story. I mean, it was. I feel like it was very important to have the conversation, and I'm glad we did. But I also learned a lot from that action as well. Um, some friends of mine reached out to me about doing an action 
And it was the night before Pride. And I was like, we're not going to get the numbers to do this, y'all. And they were just like, but it has to be done. We have to have a conversation about the ways that they are erasing, like, Black death in the city. And, like, it was just after Philando Castillo, like, his uh, murderer had been acquitted, you know? And we just like, we were just like, we were angry about that. And we wanted to center him. We wanted to center the trans women of uh, color who are dying across the nation, who only receive any kind of like, I don't know, like accolades or conversation or any attention period after their deaths and only on Trans Day of uh, Remembrance, which is where a lot of these white, queer, and trans-led organizations end up getting a lot of their funding because they're having conversations and they can say, we are community involved in this, that, and the other. But the only time you're really having a conversation with the community, the actual community, it's surrounding their deaths. And guess what those, like those visuals always look like a whole bunch of white, queer, and trans folk talking about black trans women who have died. Mm. I've been to three or four of them. And I was just like, where are the black trans women that are all across the city? Well, they're not in relationship with them, right? Exactly. So, because you're not reaching out. You're not right. actually doing the work. You're not working in the community. So you want to visibly look like you're doing something mm-hmm. by having a visual. But the fact that they're not showing up means yeah. that you're not in community with other women of color, exactly. trans folks of color. And you're not taking care of these people, these people who are still alive, who are in your city. I mean, it's, it's very important to have a conversation about our passings and our ancestors and those who have been taken from us too soon. It's important to have that conversation, but it's also important to remember that there are trans women who are alive in your city who need help now, mm-hmm. you know, who have leadership abilities, who are smart and capable and brilliant and able to do this work, you know, who thinks of things that you don't. I remember sitting down with a couple of these organizations and they were just like, well, how can we do more of this work? And I'm just like, so you don't listen to anything I say. I have been talking about this for years. Well, let me reiterate. And then I lay down a list of things that they should do. And they say, well, we can't do any of that. And I'm just like, so you're really not trying to do the work then? Why did you bring me here? Right. I hope you're paying for lunch. Right. Oh, so for all of those reasons, you and some friends decided you're doing something. Yeah. And so what did you do? We organized uh, um, an action um, that is now known as the Black Pride 4, but it was actually just... A whole bunch of folks that we knew um, coming out to block the parade for seven minutes. And uh, we didn't even make it to one before the police were on us and attacking us and pepper spraying us and throwing us to the ground and handcuffing us and slamming us into bikes and things like that. And, you know, so we were arrested and charged with all of these ridiculous charges like resisting arrest and, you know. Uh, disturbing the speech, the speech, disturbing the peace and things like that. You know, it was just a lot, a lot. And um, so we decided to fight against it. And of course we lost because it's just the way they work. Mm. Um, so. I mean, in that, you didn't even make it to a minute. So there were, there was no one that, so that just goes to show. So here in St. Louis, there was often, you know, the four and a half minutes of silence for the four and a half hours that Mike Brown's body lay in the street. Mm-hmm. And you know, people just started to understand and know we're taking these moments of silence. Mm-hmm. And so you might not like it. It might feel real inconvenient, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that like there was no one that was in community with you all enough to know that like, you know what, if we give them their seven minutes... They're, pro- they're probably just going to go on. I mean, they also didn't know that we were going to be there for seven minutes, but uh-huh. I mean, we ain't going to stand there all day. We were all wearing black and we black. It's hot. We ain't going to be here all day. 
<laughs> we ain't going to be here all day. And there ain't enough of us. <sighs> but you didn't even make it a minute. So they no. didn't even have the patience to no. wait and see or to to hear what your concerns were. Exactly. They just attacked you. And I'm just like, the, the, the reaction to after the attacking was just so, I mean, I wasn't surprised. The entire, like, the entirety of Pride, like, cheered all of these white queer folk like just cheering that we were beat and arrested in the middle of the street and a woman spit at me and i was just like oh no yeah oh no so i'm just like this is where we live we live in columbus ohio you know and we had to watch oh. hours of these police videos like their body cams like just before we got to the pride situation um but while we were preparing preparing for court and just seeing how like all of these white queer and trans folk just like oh you're an officer. Look at you and your, your badge. It's so cute. Can I ride on your bike? Oh my God. It's so nice. It's so comfortable. And you want some free water? You want some free this? And afterwards, people coming up to them, are you okay? Asking them if they're okay. And I was just like, do you not really know the history of pride or Stonewall? Like the Stonewall pride that, you know, goes through Columbus that is based off of Stonewall, you know? You don't know the actual history. You don't know why, you know, that riot happened and why it was important, how they were fighting back against the police. Right. The police were the ones who were instigating. Exactly. But now they're on your side and they're destroying us. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 And so for folks who don't know the history, right, Stonewall, the Stonewall uprising or riots, I don't know how you frame it, but Stonewall happened because police were, were giving bars where black or queer and trans folks were frequenting a hard time. Mm -hmm. And what's what I learned when I was trying just to dig in to understand more is the state would not grant liquor license to places that frequented uh, queer and trans folks. Mm -hmm. And so it gave it was like a, a way in which the state as a system gave the police and law enforcement as a system license to go harass these bars. Mm -hmm. But they, if they wanted to be in compliance, which I'm sure they did, they weren't able to be. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think people have to realize, right, like it was systematic that these bars were given a hard time. And so finally, the queer and trans community fought back and they're like, no more. Yeah. Stop harassing us. You're mm -hmm. not harassing the bar down the street. Like you're harassing us because of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. It's a contradiction for for pride to like see police as protecting them when mm. police were instigating and historically have created harm in the community. Yeah. Uh, and like all of the black death like happening in Columbus, like at the hands of police. That. And it's like, you're willfully ignoring it, willfully ignoring it. So then when you're having a conversation and you get these like, Oh, well we didn't know this was happening. Like excuses. And I'm just like, there's no way in hell that you can sit in this city, be a white, queer, upstanding member of this society, watching the news every night, and not know. You can't have all of the people in, like, in common with me and other folks in this community on Facebook and not have seen about the things that we are posting. You are willfully ignoring the deaths that are happening in the city, you know, at the hands of police. Yeah. And that often happens as well, like people want to pick and choose mm. um, and want to say, well, we're here for pride. We're not here for Black Lives Matter or moving for Black Lives. Mm. How are they? How are they separate? How are they mutually exclusive? Right. Exactly. Like if you're black and queer or trans, like you don't you can't separate those pieces of yourself. Mm. So that 
is uh it's almost a I mean it's it's frustrating, it's enraging, it's 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 dehumanizing to suggest that you can put that away and just focus on being trans right now. Even though a lot of these organizations that are now doing work in the community are, you know, they they form the work that they do after work that black queer and trans folk were doing already. You know, with the houses and taking care of one another, taking care of their sick, taking care of their youth, taking care of their homeless, feeding each other, making sure everybody knew the resources, mm -hmm. making sure everybody knew who to talk to about moans, the safe place to go to get this, you know, all of these things. While, um, you know, a lot of white folk were in their offices, you know, hiding. And when they did march in the parade, they wore masks so did that they? they didn't get called out. Really? Yeah. Huh. So all of these black folk, all of these brown folk, all these queer freaks that you call them, stood up for you, gave you everything that you have today, taught you how to do this work, and you can't show up for me. Mm. If people want to show up for trans folks of color, queer folks of color, how, what would that look like in your opinion? That would look like looking to the leaders in your community that are queer and trans. That would look like um, giving like that little bit of money that you give every year to whoever you give it to, you know, um, and giving it straight into the hands of those who need it. Because a lot of the time we're trying to do work that a lot of the organizations don't do or can't do because, you know, the FCC or whoever, I don't know. I don't know who funds these people anymore. Um, <laughs> Or like the CDC, like that gives out these grants that are only going for testing and things like that, but they don't know that there are so many different aspects to, you know, HIV prevention than just testing. testing. Um, there are people trying to do work like this that are doing HIV prevention in more equitable ways, like offering, you know, jobs and money and food and, you know, helping people pay their bills and helping people find places to stay so that they don't involve themselves in risky behaviors in order to have a place to stay, you know, that they have mental health like services and things like that. And a lot of them are doing this with, you know, no money, you know, and there's no resources for them. And they're also struggling as well. So there are people in this community trying to pull each other up. Lend a hand. Yeah. Yeah. And so that would mean knowing where those organizations are in your community. Google. And what would be even better is being in relationship with folks. Absolutely. Being in relationship with those folks in your community is the best way to have like all of the, all of the access to what they're doing and understanding what they're doing and building your understanding as well. And not just building that for yourself, but being able to take that back to your perspective communities and having that conversation. Mm -hmm. Because we all know that white people listen to white people way more than they'll listen to us. But even within the Black community, right? Yes. There's so much transphobia mm -hmm. and... Homophobia. And homophobia. Mm -hmm. it, it really does. It's, it, it, there's, important, there's an important role to have that in, in your group, intra-group conversation, right? Mm -hmm. Because, uh, I mean, there's work that we have to do. There's work that we have to do. Yeah. And the queer and trans folks shouldn't be the only ones doing it. No. Now, I made a post on Facebook not long ago um, about uh, everybody, like, sharing the post that trans women are women. Trans women are women. Trans women are women. And I'm just like, and every person that I see sharing this, they're all queer and trans people. I want to hear from the cis people. Yeah. Let's hear you, t you know, tell your cis friends and your cis family members all over your Facebook and social media. Trans women are women. Trans kids need protecting, you know? When, what was his name? Tito Jackson or Johnson? What was his name? Which one? 
The uh who? The guy from the Marvel movies. The one uh oh, I forget his name. Oh no, like wait. So tell the story. Right, but come. he uh they were sharing this uh picture of him because he hosted Saturday Night Live and he had a t-shirt that said trans kids need protecting. Oh, it might have been Don Cheadle. Ah ha ha. ha, ha okay. Ha, ha, ha. All yeah. right. So Don Cheadle wore mm-hmm. this shirt on SNL. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody was sharing it. And I was like, absolutely. A cis black man having that conversation nationally. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. It's Sometimes powerful. you don't even have to say anything. It's just that. Yeah. You know? Well, and and even in terms of identity, we talked a little bit before around like how you identify. I've talked to some folks who identify as trans and they want to identify as a trans woman. Mm-hmm. And others who say, well, no, I don't want the qualifier. I just want you to identify. I identify as a woman. I don't want trans in front of it. What's your opinion? I don't have an opinion about that one way or another. I feel like the, however you feel comfortable, mm-hmm. however you want to be referred to, um, you know, you should be able to refer to yourself whichever way you want to. Oh, I, I totally, I yeah. totally agree. People get to self-identify. Yeah. But for you and in, in your identity, do you, do you want people to say Ripley's a trans woman or do you want Ripley to just say, or people to say Ripley's a woman? Well, I think gender is stupid, but... Uh, <laughs> Gender is very stupid, but um, I identify as a trans woman um, basically because it's important to be visible. It's important to have this conversation. It's important that kids know that someone like them is out here doing the work. You know, we, we talked about how important visibility is. Like yeah. that is one of the like main aspects of you seeing so many people like identifying as trans, like so many trans kids coming out, you know? So many people and, and having people in your community like that, when you, you know, realize that you have a trans kid, you know, and you don't know who, who, what to do. There's so many people that you can be in relationship in the community who know what to do. You know, if you have any questions, even though Google is always your friend. Sometimes it can be problematic. But yes, there's yeah. a lot that folks could just go to Google mm-hmm. and not burden someone. Exactly. With asking, you know, them to tell all about their identity. Exactly. Yeah. When I had a friend who was like, oh, I think my uh, kid might be trans. Uh, I have a couple of questions. I'm like, you have five, five questions and they better be specific. And then everything else, you're just going to have to go to Google. You know, you need help along the way. Sure. Five questions. Five. Right. Because I'm not going to do this all day. Right. I'm not going to have you dive so deep down the rabbit hole that we're disrespecting me. That's not going to happen. So let's five questions. Five. And uh, they can't be about my body. They can't be about sex. They can't be about these things. All it has to do, all all you have to ask me is, you know, what best supports your child, Mm. you know? I would imagine people often objectify. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Even when trying to identify like how folks are non-binary, they Uh try to objectify by trying to figure out exactly what's in their pants, you know? Well, what were they born as? Get out of my face. Right. I, I often say when folks are like, oh, bath with the whole bathroom thing. So I was like, mm-hmm. you don't genitalia check now. Mm-hmm. Why are you so worried You've about been using the bathroom with trans folk for years? Right. And you didn't know. You didn't even know. You're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> messy, messy, messy. <laughs> I want to circle back and just make sure we let folks know about how they can support you ex- you explicitly, like mm-hmm. your work. I know there are places where they can buy your work and support oh, yeah. you. Yeah, I have so a tell us. spreadshirt. It's called The Women of She. And I sell t-shirts, mugs, onesies, and whatnot with a lot of my digital artwork on it. I, um, I have a GoFundMe up because I'm working on um, 
fundraising to get surgeries and whatnot, because we all know that this country is trying to do away with, you know, trans health care as quickly as we got it. They're trying to get rid of it. And not everybody has access to funding like that in order to get the surgeries that are so expensive. So yes. I'm, you know, crowdfunding and whatnot in order to raise funding to do so. Um, and of course, there's, a, you know, uh, Transfuturism is on Instagram, and of course they have their own. Uh, we have our own website, so you get to check that out. It's tied under the Justice Fleet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. there will be more added to that. But um, yeah, and our show is also up at the Monocle, and it'll be there till the end of the month. Awesome, awesome. Anything else you want to share with folks? Trans women are women. Trans women are women. Yes. Protect trans kids. Trans women are women Mm -hmm. and we need to protect trans kids. And like you said, uh, it's, I have this piece of raising equity that talks about leveraging your privilege Mm -hmm. and realizing the privilege that I have as someone who is cisgendered and heterosexual to like call out and name the fact that we need to be protecting trans kids, that we need to be challenging folks who are transphobic and homophobic. Like, don't let that stand. Mm -hmm. Don't let that be the norm. Don't just sit by and (laughs) You know, just make sure folks know that that's around you, that's not okay, and that it needs to stop. Yeah. Period. I mean, I'm a firm believer in you learning in your own time mm-hmm. because too often, like, especially with folks who have platforms and who are famous, they are often expected to like conform to someone else's idea of right and wrong right away. Apologize and conform right now. That does not yield long lasting results. Uh, because they're going to do it in order so that they can continue to make their money. They can continue to make their money. They're going to do it. They're going to say what they need to say. And I don't think that means you're learning, you know? I am all about someone learning in their own time. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have to call them out. That doesn't mean you should. I, I'm more about call-in culture than call-out, you know? I like to hold people who are most closest to these people accountable because there are people who are close to them who know better, who haven't said anything. And probably having a conversation, I'm not saying it needs to be gentle. It doesn't have to be gentle. But people are never going to learn, you know, how to respect other people if you're just, you know, I'm going to take this away from you. We're going to cancel you. We're going to take away your money. And then you just get some really dishonest changes, you know, not long lasting, dishonest changes. You know, we mm. see it with a lot of people all the time, people who uh, have come out against like trans folk or who have said terrible things or problematic things or have disrespected women in all kinds of ways. Um, and we see them like, oh, I've learned my lesson. I'm sorry. You know, this, that and the other. Then we hear another story about them also disrespecting women again, because you have taken something from them and they said what they needed to say in order to get what you took back. But they didn't learn. People need to learn in their own time. I mean, I didn't get here overnight. You know, you didn't get there overnight. It took time. It took learning. It took being told you were wrong and understanding that and doing the work yourself to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you saying that. And I I really appreciate you joining us. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thank you all for joining us on Raising Equity. I hope that you've learned some things about yourself in terms of like the work that you need to do this whole idea of doing your work in your own time like where can you stand up against transphobia and homophobia but also just you know taking in the awesomeness of ripley and the way in which she does her artwork and contributes in her activism like those are all gifts to the world and i hope that 
I hope that you receive those today. Um, I know that for me, I will be thinking more about like, how do I make sure I'm in community so that I can be uh, supportive in a real and authentic way. So thank you all for joining us in Raising Equity.